What's up, world? It's Aaron, and welcome to the Aaron Wayne Podcast. Getting my legs back underneath me on this one. Follow along. We're going to get somewhere. First couple minutes started a little slow, but we're going to get somewhere good. So here we go. What's up, guys? Man, haven't done this in a while bit rusty. I think my last podcast was all about how I hadn't done a podcast in a long time. But here I am doing it, man. I missed it. I really missed it. I think, uh, you know, you get caught up in your life and still living through COVID. So trying to figure out how to make time with all of this time. But yeah, man, I'm kicking it. I'm doing well. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, A couple things coming on for me. Started yoga teacher training about a three weeks back, four weeks back, something like that. And, um, yeah, started off great. We're doing completely online right now, which is, uh, what we were doing last round and it's going really well. We're cruising. It's really cool to see people coming into space and looking to do something cool, do something fun, do something neat, something slick, something sly. You know what I mean? Let me have a sip of coffee. I need to get in the groove here. Hmm. crazy world we're living in how many times have you heard that how many more times do you want to hear someone say in these unprecedented times or like the new normal i'm so tired of those phrases but it is kind of true i guess this is the new normal yeah i got a lot of stuff going on man um my wife worked out this morning so we had a two-hour delay which in the school world now means that the AM kids don't come to school because everything is split AM PM schedule. And so the AM kids didn't come to school and that meant that her kids were just doing like activities that she didn't need to teach. And so she worked out and I didn't because I have remote kids that uh, I had to teach live like this, like in a video. Um, And kind of ticked me off because we're in a competition with my family my family at the beginning of the year it is 2021 Ooh, baby Ooh, baby it's 2021 yeah 2020 cruised by didn't it it's like you throw some economic turmoil some tragedies and some chaos into the mix it makes the year go by quick you know but uh Okay, easy on the microphone. I gotta relearn relearn all of this stuff. I got loose cords everywhere. What am I even talking about? Am I still here? Can you see me? Am I live? Maybe another sip of coffee. Cool it down, Rico. Yeah. So she worked out this morning, and we're in this competition where we, uh, with my family, because my family wants to create a bit more health in their life. My like brothers, not brother. I only have one brother. My brother and sisters and uh, my parents and my brother-in-law. So I guess I have two brothers. And uh, people are trying to get healthier, trying to lose weight, which is awesome. I'm all about it. And um, so we're counting our minutes and then meeting every Sunday. Some of those Sundays are a bit tough because people show up and they're like, I worked out for like 20 minutes this week. It's like, that's not going to cut it. And there's money at stake. I always have weird stuff. Family and money is always weird. Uh, at least at least it is for me um so like you know we put 15 bucks into the pot and winner uh takes all so that's like 
hundred bucks, something like that for my whole family. And it's just about how many minutes you work out for the week. And then, um, to sort of equalize it because I mean, I, I work out <laughs> no need to brag, but you know, I work out about an hour a day, which is not crazy. It's not insane to do that, but that's what I do. And to equalize the playing field a bit, we made it so that there was a multiplying factor if you lose weight. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to lose weight. So that sort of helped some people in the, in the pool, but yeah, that's where we are. And, uh, I think I'm winning and I don't want to win. I don't, I, I think maybe my wife is in first place right now. We've got one more week and that's what we're doing. Is that interesting? I don't know. The thing about podcasting is that, uh, it takes some time to get my feedback underneath me. I like talking googly moogly. I like talking. I got the New York Times pulled up on my iPad here in case I forget, like, if I run out of stuff to say. I've already run out of stuff to say, and we're six minutes in. And when I say six minutes, I really mean four minutes and 45 seconds. So I got that going for me. I'm now an ordained minister. Did you know that you could do that? I didn't. So I'm an ordained minister because I'm going to be officiating my friend's wedding. And uh, I'm stoked. I'm super excited for it. Um, it's such a, like peculiar honor to be able to do something like that for someone to even ask you like, Hey, would you officiate my wedding? I think they did it sort of as a joke. I might've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think they were sort of joking at first. And then the more they thought about it, they were like, Oh yeah, he could do that. Let's have him do it. We know him. He knows us. Like, let's do it. I'm super nervous. Um, I don't really get nervous for things anymore. And it's always a real gift to find something that makes you nervous because that means like, Oh, this is a space where a, I need to grow here. And two, um, it means that it's real. It means that you found something that's real and that's important and needs focus and effort and planning and preparation. And, um, you know, so much of our daily life, we are kind of just mucking about, you know, Twiddling on our phones and going to work and listening to boring podcasts. And like, it's like if you find something that makes you nervous, like that's a true gift being able to realize that something is super important and needs your attention. So I'm super stoked. More on that later. But I'm an ordained minister. So if you need someone to do your baptism, I think I can legally do that now. Even though is a baptism a legal contract? It said when I so like I got like a packet, like when I became ordained of things I can do. I can do funerals, weddings, and baptisms. But like, do you need I see like a marriage, because that's a agreement, a legal legally binding agreement. And I also see how a funeral, obviously, like that's it's like a tragedy, but there's also like a lot of legal stuff that goes along with that. So that makes sense. But then like baptism, do you need to be, is that a legal thing? Does that like, are people stamped on their social security number? Like this cat's been baptized. I don't know. This has already gone off the rails. I know I've recorded good podcasts in the past. Just look at those while I get my feet back underneath me. I think this is like my 14th podcast. I was talking to a friend of mine who's super into the esoteric and tarot. And, um, you know, we talked about, like really like far out stuff 
which is really, you need one of those people in your corner. You need one of those people that are really tapped into like intuition and extremely open. That's what I find with people that are very like ethereal and sort of like kind of in, it makes them, I, I notice that people that are really heavy out there, like they sometimes feel self-conscious because society doesn't necessarily accept the fact that like they have some ideas that aren't um, in the norm, in the main, in the main, like Horton, like you ever had horse and mane shampoo? What am I talking about? My friend is super into the esoteric and we were talking about something that had to do that maybe bring her up. This is the worst podcast ever. Should I delete this right now? I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it because nobody's listening to these things anyway. But who does a podcast by themselves on the floor of their yoga room? I don't know. GameStop. That's the thing in the news. It's really interesting to see a lot of people banding together to do something that disrupts systems that we've all been super critical of. There's a guy on Twitter named Andreas Antonopoulos and he's a big Bitcoin guy. And he tweeted, um, he tweeted, you know, my generation, he's like my age. He's like, my generation did occupy wall street, which was, I was actually in DC during occupy, which was kind of crazy to see. Like I walked up on this stage where this backdrop of the like, preamble to the uh constitution like we the people i might have that wrong i gotta talk to a civics teacher but it had like the i think it was the either the declaration of independence no we the people we the people in order to form a more perfect union something about addressing grievances i think that's the declaration so the declaration was up on um behind a stage and he was just speaking out to this crowd of people that had gathered and then people started um like recounting their, um, you know, being pepper sprayed by the cops and stuff. So like a lot of the BLM stuff right now was sort of like at a much smaller scale was happening during Occupy. And so then Occupy like was a grievance that wasn't um, about racial equality. It was about like the economic system is screwed and it's not taking care of the people and so what these people are doing now, as I understand it, with the sort of like GameStop investing in stonks, like all this stuff, like uh, what's it called? Wall Street Bets is the Reddit page. And these people are just banding together and they drove up the stock for GameStop, which is a company that I think filed for bankruptcy four months ago, something like that. They drove up their stock by 1,700%. What? It's so crazy. And so now they're trying to like regulate it so that average folk can't do that. And it's because uh, for sure people lost lots and lots of money. So they did it because I think they were pissed that people were shorting the stock. And shorting stocks just like seems on the face of it to be a completely corrupt practice. It's like here here's let's see if i saw the funniest tiktok the other day of this woman explaining about like she's like i i can explain the stock market to you and she like starts it really like like she's very nice and pleasant and then um seems like she knows what she's talking about and then the farther in she goes she's intentionally like playing this character of confusion and she's like and then 
these billionaires have hedges and um, the other people want hedges. And it's just like, it's hilarious. Um, but, you know, you have a short, which as I understand it is, okay, hey man, I'll buy, let me borrow these stocks for a little while and I'll give them back to you in 30 days. And then what you do is you buy, you borrow those stocks, you sell them the day you get them, and you're predicting that in 30 days the stock will go down. And then you just give, you buy those stocks, and then you give them back to the person you got them from. So it's like Carl's over here. He's got 100 shares of, of Tesla. Whatever. Pick your favorite stock. He's got 100 shares. Carl over here with his 100 shares. Ronnie comes over and says, hey, man, can I borrow your stocks? I'll give them back to you in a month. And Carl's like, whatever, not using them anyway. They're just sitting there so you can borrow them. And then what what Ronnie does is he sells all those stocks, say they're worth a dollar. So he he's just takes $100 USD, holds it in his hand. And then he's predicting that that stock will plummet. And so in a month when that stock is no longer at a dollar, it's at 50 cents, he buys back those 100 shares but it only costs him 50 bucks. And so he just gives the shares back to Carl and Ronnie pockets that $50 difference. And that seems so crazy and unethical, um, but also pretty smart. Shrewd. It's a shrewd business move. I get it. Trying to stack that paper. So another thing today that, um, and again, this is on Twitter. Like who has the time to research all the memes that you see? But I saw a meme today that um, working class people have lost since the pandemic started $1.7 trillion in like wealth and equity and, and income. Because, so, you know, people are cashing in their form. I mean, they're spending their savings. Like a lot of people aren't working. They're trying to keep their mortgages, yada, yada. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, service industry stuff. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs, but a lot of people like are still working their jobs, but they're making less money or, you know, the gig economy was rigged to not gig, a uh, giggity giggity. It was rigged to like, kind of like not work. You know, it's like if you're in the gig economy and you're working like, Hey, let me, uh, I'll do this for you. Cause I'm a professional with X, Y, Z and you're doing five different jobs and you have effectively like a small business where you're doing gigs. Um, you know, when the economy slows down, it's like those gigs go the way the dodo, a dodo, dodo, giggity, giggity. And so a lot of people, even though they have not lost their jobs, their employment is way down. And so the outcome for that is that working class folks have lost 1.7 million, excuse me, $1.7 trillion in wealth, wages, income, all that. And then the real screwed up number that coincides with that is that billionaires have accrued roughly that same number uh, into their wealth. And it's like, I mean, the money doesn't disappear. Do you know what I mean? Like the money doesn't just evaporate. So when people aren't getting paid for doing their jobs and people aren't going out to restaurants and spending, like I, I'm, I'm a public school teacher. My, my income is very safe. It's very solid. The, you know, the government is not going to default on paying public school teachers at least anytime soon. And so, you know, if people like me, who, even though I don't make a lot of money, if people like me aren't spending our money in restaurants, haircuts, I got my haircut the other day. Check this out. Ooh, wee. 
I'll show you later. But if that money isn't circulating, then it's not that it doesn't exist anymore. Like I'm saving a lot of money because, you know, I don't feel safe going to a restaurant three days a week. I don't feel like um, it's, I don't think it's a good idea. And then also there's like this social judgment. judgment. I go to the grocery store at Kroger down the road and they have, um, we call it the crowbar. They have a, like a bar in Kroger where you can buy like $2 craft pints. And it's not just like, you know, stone IPA. If you're, I don't know if you're into beer or not, but if you are that, you know, they, it's not just like stone IPA or Sierra Nevada or, um, like new Belgium, like some of the big craft breweries, you know, you'll get stuff that's brewed hundred miles up the road. Like there's a blue Ridge brewery. That's really good that they have beers and it's like three bucks, but before the pandemic, it would be nice. You know, you go do your grocery shop and do your thing. Um, and then have a, have a pint. Like that's a nice little afternoon, nice little Saturday. You know, I don't know if we'll have time, but it's a nice little Saturday. But now, even though that's a big corporation, but this is just an example to prove my point, to illustrate my point, which is now it's like, there's a social sort of thing. Like I'm a public school teacher. If I'm, you know, if I'm advocating that classroom size is not back at 32 kids per room because it puts too much stress and demand on the system to make sure that nobody get, you know, that people are safe and aren't catching COVID left and right. And then I'm sitting at a, at a, having a beer in a grocery store. Like it's just, it's not, it's, there's a disconnect there. Right. And so even though I have money, stack that paper even though I have money, it's like, I'm not spending as much of it. So I'm saving a lot of money. And where's that money going? Like, yes, it's legally mine, but it's not tactically mine because it's all sitting in a bank and that bank can then just in turn, take that money and reinvest it into the market. And so like, you know, my amateur uh, thoughts about like, why is the stock market going up while people are continuing to lose their jobs? It's like, well, people are saving their money because they're not going out as much, which like in turn is really bad for main street economy. But it's good for, you know, Bank of America or Capital One where I have my Roth IRA. It's like it's really good for these companies because my money, instead of going into small businesses, is being held safely for me. Like, yeah, it's safe. Like I I will get be able to get my money back, but it's going into the banks. And then those banks on a fractional reserve banking system only have to keep like 10% of the money that goes into their bank, which means if I have $10,000 in savings, they only have to keep a thousand of it because it operates under the assumption that not everybody's going to ask for their money all at once. That's what it's a wonderful life is all about. You remember that? Mary. It's a wonderful life. You know what I'm talking about? Guy runs a bank and it's like the depression. It's like the great depression around Christmas time. And every, they make a run on the bank. That's where that term comes from. And then he gets like, I wish I was never born. Mary. And then the ghosts, of Christmas Pat. I might be confusing this with Scrooged. That's no, that's Charles Dickens and Scrooged. Maybe it's just one ghost that takes him through his life if he had never been born. I don't know. You understand the point. The banks are messing up this country. I'm listening to a podcast with Sam Harris, Sam Harris's podcast, and he's talking. Sorry, I'm fidgeting. I'm sitting on the floor. I haven't been sitting on the floor a lot lately. 
He's talking about income inequality. I just can't stop thinking about it. Dude, I, dude, dude. I just watched this documentary called Crack on Netflix, and it's all about um, crack cocaine and how it affected the inner cities and how it became um, a racialized issue and how it disproportionately affected black communities. Even though statistically, two thirds of the crack, <laughs> two thirds of crack users, according to that documentary, two thirds of crack users were um, suburban folk, which in, you know, even today, but even more so in the 80s when it was really popping off, um, you know, those people are predominantly middle-class white folk. And they showed clips of, you know, 22-year-old white guys going down into neighborhoods to buy crack. And it's like, you know, the sentencing was disproportionate for other drugs. And... um it just like ended up being this really terrible thing that happened to the black community that like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you have the the history of racism in this country is so crazy. And it's like, as soon as we get to a glimpse of like, okay, the sixties happened, we realized like we have to start legislating equality instead of like, appealing to people, the better angels to the better angels of people's nature. We had to like actually make laws and legislate. And so like in the wake of the sixties, you know, you still had immense poverty. Then Reagan comes into office talking about trickle down economics, which we're still dealing with right now, which is like obviously doesn't work as the income gap continues to widen. And, you know, as soon as the black community, like, starts to see the possibility of not being like relegated to these red line communities, then crack hits. And like, it just tears that community apart. It tore the cities in this country apart. You know, you had people that were like legitimately addicted to the drug, which like, that's a whole different conversation about that. But then you had, you know, young people who were, they were broke, they were poor, they were living in like not great conditions and they saw an opportunity to be entrepreneurial. I mean, I've been saying it for years. If we could, if we, and this is, this this is, might be a controversial statement. I don't know, whatever. But if we were to take the individuals who lived in really terrible conditions and started effectively a small business doing something that was illegal and wrong. And I'm not advocating that you you go out there. Cause like I'm a public school teacher, like this is not a good idea. But what I'm saying is that there's an underlying quality of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship that is present in someone who says, I have a need. There is a market. This is how I manage my supplies. This is how I coordinate with customers. Like, and it's in, you know, it's an illegal seedy business that is colored with violence and treachery and all of that, but it still requires an individual to, you know, see a need, a need. I mean, like it's a hard conversation to have, but to see a, a gap in the market that people are willing to pay for and to manage other people and to manage supply chains 
and to manage product and to manage money and like all of it's even more complicated for someone who's doing that sort of business because it's illegal and it's dangerous and it's um you know these people are looked at as the dregs of society when in reality it's like I, hey man i was broke you know what i mean like the they were turning the water off they were like you know i had holes in my sneakers this and that and it's like can you blame someone for for trying to take advantage of that i i don't know let's calm down rico have a sip of coffee so I'm recording a video for this, so I'm going to have to take a pause. I might as well take the pause now. So call this the pause before we come back. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. I went off on a rant there. I got a little fired up. So I got to, like, take pauses in between the video because, I, you know, I looked and looked and looked and I bought like a super premium memory card, but for some reason my camera records faster than the card will take. And so I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's because I'm shooting in 4K. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's a nice camera. It's a nice card. I don't get it, but whatever. If you know how to fix that, let me know. Shoot me an email or make a comment in the YouTube video because I'm going to post this one on YouTube. Yeah, I'm getting like things back together, man. Like I I feel like, uh, you know, when the pandemic went full tilt, I really felt like a lot of the practices and routines that I was engaged in just sort of fell to the wayside. And I I think I've talked about that in a previous podcast, but then what happened on top of that is, um, a lot of the projects that I was working on, I just needed to focus on, um, like making me whole. And, um, you know, you see a lot of that on Instagram, people talking like self-care, self-care. And like, it seems very cheesy when we see it online and we're not necessarily connected with it, but, you know, it's, it's true. And that's what I needed to do. I needed to just be like, okay, I can't do hot yoga. I can't go to the sauna. I can't go out and hang out with my buddies. Like, what am I going to do to make sure that I'm whole? And it took me a long time to realize that, um, even in the early days, like I had this conscious awareness that I was missing something and I was like, okay, this is what it is. I'm missing this, this, and this. And so now I just have to find new strategies, but it took really long, a really long time to sort of acclimate to, um, to, to the new systems. And so what ended up happening is a lot of my side projects went to the Wade side, for example, the podcast. Um, also I haven't updated my website in a really long time. Nobody's looking at my podcast. Nobody's looking at my website. Um, but it's just nice to have these things. Cause one, I really like to build things. And so my website is beautiful. I love my website, AaronWinyoga.com. Um, I also, you know, I like my Instagram page, but like I stopped posting on Instagram. I took a step away from Instagram for a while because I realized that I was consuming it in a really unhealthy way. And I think the last podcast that I probably posted, I don't know, whatever, like two months ago, um, was I, I just watched the social dilemma and went on another rant about that. And, you know, I like making pretty things on Instagram. I like, I like putting things out there. I like building, I like creating. And it's like, it's easier now to create than it ever has been. And so even though I have zero expectation of how things shake out, I just want to keep building stuff. I just want to keep creating, keep making stuff. Um, And I hope that if you're following along with me that you're into that idea of just making stuff. It doesn't matter because, because the skills that you use to 
build a new project or to work on something, you have no idea when those things will come into play. You have no idea when you'll need to be able to speak on camera and feel comfortable. That's what I do for a living now. I mean, as a public school teacher, this is what I'm doing. As a yoga teacher, this is what I'm doing. Um, the real thing that I'm, I'm nervous about is getting guests. And I think that I don't want to get guests because I feel self-conscious that somebody will project what they think my expectations are. Because my expectations are genuinely just to make something interesting um, and to develop my skills of thinking and speaking clearly. And I think if I were to invite a guest into this conversation, it would become, oh, what does he or she think about my expectations? Like, is my expectation to have a huge podcast? Like, it's not, if it happens, it happens, but I, I find it highly unlikely. But do, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just not super into that idea. And there's a lot of people who have successful podcasts that just do it by themselves. But again, am I trying to be a successful podcast? Yeah, probably. I just want people to like me. Getting all jacked up on coffee here. Yeah, so that's going on. Yeah. I um, I got some heat lamps, which is kind of cool. I've been trying to think about how to build an infrared sauna, so I bought a couple infrared lamps, and they're sitting right underneath the camera on the tripod. And uh, I meditated this morning. I've been getting back into my meditation practice. Um, I'm finally, I finally feel like I got my legs underneath me, man. It took a year to feel like I got my legs underneath me. I feel confident. I feel capable. You know, my breath is good. My meditation practice is going good. Um, and this is like now why I feel ready to come back into, okay, you got this buddy. Like you got some stuff going on. Now let's, let's get back into some of these projects, some of these things you like to make that you like to build. And so that's what this, uh, that's what this podcast is primarily about. Even though I went on a 10 minute tirade about how we need to make drug dealers, CEOs of multinational corporations and destroy the banking system. I think that's, again, this, this is like the biggest part of this podcast for me is it's an opportunity for me to flesh out my ideas without feeling as if I'm holding up someone else because my mind works best when I'm articulating. Like when I'm, when I'm, when I'm speaking is when I'm thinking most clearly and, or when I'm writing, but you know, I don't, I don't have the capacity or I haven't trained the capacity to sit and think. Like that's just not part of, of what I have ready access to. And so in order for me to figure out what it is that I know, I have to either speak it or I have to write it. And writing is hard. <laughs> writing takes like, it takes time and you can't, um, it's writing is way more focused because you don't have the speed of, um, production that you do when you speak, you can't run off on tangents because then it's incoherent. Um, but if you're speaking, you can like, people are capable of holding a few things, they're capable of juggling a few things, uh, in a conversation without completely losing track of what's being said. And so I find that speaking is just like, that's how I learn is through sharing. And then so often it's like, you know, you find yourself in conversations with people 
And if you're really dialed in and paying attention, you can notice when people aren't listening to you. And um, it just it just makes me kind of shut up, like, um, which I you know I don't like to do. <laughs> I would rather be talking. Um, I went through a phase where I wanted to vlog a lot because I felt that video was a really useful tool for basically journaling and keeping track of what I have going on. But then I realized that it really broke the moment in a way that, you know, you see someone like they pull out their phone, like they're, you know, they're watching a concert or something. It's like, dude, just watch the concert. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to record this. Um, cause you're not, when's the last time you looked at a, a video from a concert that you went to? I'll wait. Never. You've never done that. And the real point is you got to be there for it. And I found that when I was trying to do vlogs, which is what I bought this camera for, which was expensive. Yeah. It's a business write-off. No big deal. But, um, that's why I bought this camera and, um, it's it just like, it was every time I would be doing something cool, I'd be like, Oh, let me get my camera out. And then the, the hardest part wasn't like recording what was happening. The hardest part was finding narrative structure and realizing that the video them of its, in, the videos in of themselves did not provide narrative structure. And what that required from me is to talk to the camera, which I'm comfortable doing, but you can't like, you don't at least the structure that I was approaching, it wasn't like, okay, here's all this footage. And like, let me cut in some explanation of narrative. It, the way that I was doing it and the way that most people do it is they turn the camera on themselves and they're like, all right guys, so what we're doing is blah, 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 blah. And it just felt like it felt so contrived. And it also like made me feel very self-conscious in public. Um, which again, here's, here's my greater point when I talk, when, when talking about like doing projects, it made me feel more comfortable speaking on camera in front of people, which is a skill that's worthwhile. Like you should have that. You, that's one to have in the toolbox because you don't ever know when you're going to need it. You never know when you're going to need to be the person who's speaking to the camera. And there's people in the periphery who are like watching you ignore them and talk to people in the future. So that was a skill. I didn't even know I was going to pick up that skill, but I knew that when I started it, I was very hesitant to do it because it made me feel extremely self-conscious. It made me feel again, like my thoughts of here's why I felt self-conscious. I had the thought in my head that other people were thinking, what does this guy think he is? Casey Neistat? Like, what is he going to like make the biggest blog in the world? And like, I let their expectations, their perceived expectations. I didn't even know that those were their expectations. It was just what I thought they thought about what I was doing. It's like, I thought that they thought something about what I was thinking. And it's like, it's completely, I have no idea what those people were thinking, but it stopped me for a while. And I got over that, which is good. Though I still feel self-conscious on camera sometimes, you know? I remember early days at the yoga studio, you know, they would need a promo video and they would say, hey, Aaron, could you do this? And I got so nervous. I would like... I'm, I'm one of these people, I don't know if you're one of these people, but when I get nervous, I shake and my voice like shakes and, um, that just makes it worse because as soon as your voice starts shaking, you're like, Oh my God, they can hear my voice shaking and I can hear it. They can hear it. And they know I'm nervous and I'm trying to hide the fact that I'm nervous, but they know it and I'm going to die. And, uh, like you just, 
the only way you get over that is through reps. And um, I guess I'm just talking myself into this wedding because I'm nervous. I'm nervous that my voice will shake and that, you know, one of my best friends and his fiance, who's like super sweet and really nice and funny and charming and beautiful. And he's like this smart, you know, successful, interesting, cool guy that, you know, world traveler. And I'm nervous that I'm going to stand up in their fancy wedding and try to perform the ceremony and I'm going to get nervous and my voice will shake. And I'm nervous about that. It makes me uncomfortable to think about it. So that's some honesty right there. But the thing is, is like, I'm going to do fine. Like I'm putting time into it. They know that I care. I know that I care. And like, I do this for a living. I speak in public for a living. This is what I do. Like whether it's in front of a room of, you know, 40 yogis or 30 eighth graders or in front of an entire faculty or in a community meeting, like I do this for a living. This is what I do. And, uh, I feel good about it and I'm stoked. I really am stoked. So there's a moment like of a little bit of vulnerability. So hopefully that comes across in a way that makes you realize that people are people and maybe you can see a little bit of yourself in that. Um, but yeah, the podcast man, like in any of these projects that I'm on, I'm sitting on a yoga block and it just slid. Yeah. These projects, man, just do stuff, go do stuff, man. I had, um, I turned 32 in October and I made a resolution to myself that I was going to make a vlog a week in October and I made it a week, which is not all the weeks of October. If you were keeping track and, uh, I have all this footage, like, you know, I opened up my, uh, Apple photos and it's like, I have all, I have gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs. I even bought a hard drive. I don't know where the hard drive is, but I even bought a hard drive to keep track of the video. And, um, yeah, I never used any of it. But again, I know how to edit video now. I know how to edit video. I know how to splice music. I know how to, um, I know how to properly organize files. I know how to do all of it. And so what it led to is like, now I'm doing this project of the podcast, which is, um, it's way more beneficial to me because it allows me to speak clearly and freely without feeling like I'm going to be interrupted, which allows me to expand my thinking. It is way easier because it's just, I recorded on GarageBand. I splice the video with GarageBand audio and then I have a website, so I just host it on the website. It goes straight into RSS feeds and gets distributed out. Like I have, to, like I just put it all together and it goes out. So it's, it's better for me. It's easier. It takes way less time. So even though the actual act of podcasting, like this is 39 minutes in, even though the act of podcasting takes a big chunk of time, whereas you know vlogging, I would you know record about this amount of time worth of video, but it wouldn't take a day. It wouldn't take a a chunk out of my day in order to do it. Um, the editing is way quicker. I mean, I was spending hours editing, um, very subpar blogs that no one watched. <laughs> I think that's going to be a condition for a lot of people. They're going to spend a lot of time on that sort of thing. You know, I have kids that, uh, are podcasters. One of my kids says he has a podcast and I was like, dude, that's awesome. 
I have my kids recording podcasts for projects. Like we just finished reading Fahrenheit 451. And I said, instead of doing like an essay, which like, you know, they, we do essays, you know what I mean? Like they don't need another essay. I want to give them an opportunity to express themselves and to engage in a project that will give them tools that they can then use in the future. And so I had them either make a newspaper article using all of the online tools at their disposal. So they learned graphic design or um, a podcast. So then they learned audio editing and how to like record and cut and all these things. And I got some killer projects from these kids. Um, But I was, I was impressed. So there's going to be a whole generation of kids coming up that know how to podcast and I got to get ahead of them because I want my podcast to be bigger. I'm definitely going to have a kid who has a bigger podcast than me. I teach 110 kids a year and I've been teaching for what, six years, something like that, five or six years. So that's almost a thousand kids. Yeah. It's like almost 700 kids. It's crazy. So many kids. Do I remember all of them? I'll say yes. I don't know what else I got going on here, guys. I don't even know what the show notes in this are going to be. I think I just need to get my legs back underneath me. I need to create a schedule for this. I need to create a time that I do this. I need to stop having big lunches and quick naps in the afternoon. Um, I put on some weight, tried to gain some weight went through like a bulking phase. I was eating like 4,000 calories a day or something like that and working out. Um, but not doing a lot of cardio, just doing a lot of lifting, trying to get swole. But, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta create a schedule around podcasting so that I make sure that I get it done because I find it valuable. I find the experience valuable and I hope that you find something that you find interesting and that you find valuable because you know, you're going to be dead one day. So just don't, you just got to move. You just got to keep doing stuff and let go of the expectations, like work without expectations, build and create and let the building and the creating be the reward in of itself. The, the making of something is what feels good. Not the praise or the, all the people who watch or listen or like or comment it's about the building. You got to build stuff because it's human. It's what it means to be human. We use language, we establish relationships, and we build stuff. And so go do it. All right. It's a good way to wrap this one up. All right, guys. Peace out. All right, guys, that one was a bit rambling, but we got there. If you are interested, you can follow me along at hello at AaronWayneYoga.com is the email. It's been a while since I've done one of these. I even forgot all the stuff that I say. Uh, add, uh, email address, hello at AaronWayneYoga.com. Instagram, at AaronWayneYoga. And the website is AaronWayneYoga.com. I'm going to be updating that so we get some fresh stuff in there. And I'm an ordained minister. You want someone to do your wedding or your baptism? I don't want to do any funerals. I don't think I'm experienced enough for that. I think I can kind of figure out a wedding and uh, baptism, funerals, 
find someone else. But uh, yeah, man, follow along and uh, see you on the next one. Peace.